0: Fed Chief Jay Powell, I figured it out. Give me a call. 1 800 743 CNBC. Everybody's obsessing about inflation and whether the Fed will need to raise interest rates to cool an overheated economy. But that's not the issue. What we're seeing now is a revolution in the way people live their lives. And that revolution can't be stopped by higher rates. On a great day for the Bulls, where the Dow gained 338 points, that's be climbed 0.83%, and the Nasdaq jumped 1.05%. i got to put this moment in perspective. See, I spend a gigantic amount of time speaking to CEOs across a broad spectrum of industries. That's highly unusual. On Wall Street, everything's divvied up by sector. The person who talks to Marty Musi at Paychex is different from the guy who speaks to Jim Farley at Ford or Leon Topalian at Nucor. Now, the Federal Reserve gets all these reports from the regional feds and and they do a decent job, but they often miss the bigger picture. They know nothing. Yeah, the big stories out there, the ones that are really driving both the economic growth and inflation. The Fed heads want to view this moment through the lens of transient versus persistent inflation. Transient means it should have been ended by now, frankly, but we still got relentless inflation all over the place. I'm giving you that. I'm, I'm not denying that. So. Let me help you escape from the transient trap. Mr. Powell, this is just the wrong rubric. Why don't we start with COVID itself, which isn't tied in nearly as much as you think it is, at least when it comes to the media. We're discovering a tremendous number of people in high risk areas who've left the workforce, many for good. Now, who can blame them? Wall Street somehow often forgets that 700,000 people, 700,000 people have died from COVID in this country. You can't get this virus spontaneously. Someone has to give it to you. That means the best way to stay healthy is to stop going to work. So millions of people did precisely that. Perfectly rational decision. I bring this up because the hardest hit industries are now at the heart of some of the nastiest gaps up in inflation and the bottlenecks we hear about all the time. A few years ago the government changed the regulations on how many hours a truck driver could drive per day because they didn't want overworked drivers getting into accidents. Rational. Makes sense. But this rule also made truck driving less attractive. Yes, then the pandemic hit and made things even worse. It was a one-two punch against the lucrative, lucrative business that was trucking. Nobody ever worried about a shortage of truck drivers before. You'd think that this shortage will push wages up and draw in more young people. But we see so many stories about how autonomous driving will put this whole profession out of business. Who wants to do a job that's supposed to disappear? When I looked at the GM uh, notes yesterday and talked to Mary Barr, I have to believe that that, uh, autonomous truck driving is happening. I wouldn't want to get trapped in this business then. As a result, we've got a truck driver shortage. Rational. Now, when a shipping container gets to our congested ports, we lack the truckers to take that container to its final destination. If you're PepsiCo with its own fleet of trucks, then you can keep your supply chain intact and hold costs down. No wonder that stock's been roaring since it reported. But most food and beverage companies, they don't have enough scale to make that work, so they raise price. Maybe the price sticks or not. So how do we solve the truck driver shortage? Higher interest rates, I know, are not the answer. I think the solution is higher pay. We lost several years with the older truck drivers because of health worries and autonomous driving anxieties. That plus most of the over 60 drivers are retired. But the good thing about a labor shortage is that it's simple to fix. You just need to offer people more money. Of course, that's expensive. This is a structural issue, not a transient one. But just because it's not transient, that doesn't mean the Fed can solve it. If anything, it might get worse in a weaker economy, meaning you can't fix this shortage with high, higher rates, no matter what the hedge funds tell you. We keep hearing about new car inflation, used car inflation, home inflation. Again, though, that's all about health, not people spending like drunken sailors Need to be taught a lesson by raising rates. Thanks to the pandemic, living in a city and taking mass transit is a lot more risky than living in a suburb and riding a car. Believe it or not, people will go to great lengths to avoid dying. On top of that, Zoom video made it easier than ever for workers to stay home. So you have this combination of a fear of death and relentless innovation that's striving the house and auto inflation. That can't be stopped with higher interest rates. If the Fed wants to cool down the overheating housing and auto markets, well, it needs to find a cure for COVID. How about the semi-shortage? OK, last year, the whole auto industry predicted to be a prolonged downturn this year. So they didn't order enough components to meet the unexpected surge in demand for cars and trucks. They didn't foresee it. Why buy more chips than you need when you're going to expect far fewer sales? And one of the great ironies of this moment, the People's Republic of China took an entirely different approach. The people who run China still remember what it was like to have constant supply chain problems. Their car companies figured that business would bounce back. They were more optimistic than ours. So they ordered a huge number of chips, many of which I believe are being hoarded. At the same time, the semiconductor equipment makers weren't getting orders for machinery to make these lower margin auto chips because the semis made the same assumptions as the U.S. automakers. Instead, they made big machines needed to produce chips for per, per highest end personal computers, for highest end cell phones, but most importantly, for the servers that power the cloud. Again, higher interest rates can't magically create more chips. And even if the economy got hammered, I don't see the demand going away for what is being made for. Next, we keep hearing about rampant wage inflation. Again, though, I think that's really the result of some astounding short-sightedness on the part of so many businesses. We're in the resignation generation, people. When people found out that they might not be paid last year because their employers were in trouble, they either got laid off or they did the rational thing and they left on their own. But not all companies were this short-sighted. Laura Albert, the CEO of Williams-Sonoma, kept paying her people even when the stores were closed. When it came time to reopen, she had all the staff she needed. What else? We got plastic inflation, but that's hurricane-driven. So that Fed can't fix it unless j builds a machine to control the weather. Tough ask. What should Pal really be doing here? I think you should get a little biblical, I mean, but only obliquely. He's been dealt a real Job-like hand here. People don't want to die. They don't want to give up their jobs either. But if their job gave up on them, then they want out somewhere else. The pandemic changed our behaviors dramatically and hardly anyone saw it coming, except for maybe the aptly named Dr. Larry Brilliant, who helped devise a truly frightening movie, a a contagion. It's so scary. And he had been predicting exactly what's happened. Brian helped eradicate smallpox. He knows what he's talking about. Honestly, I think he'd be a great advisor for the Federal Reserve. He'd certainly give better advice than most of the commentators. The bottom line, for all the comparisons to Weimar Germany or the stagflation of the 70s, our current battle of inflation is unique. Prices are going up across the board because people don't want to die. They don't want their families to die. They don't want long-term health complications. I think include this inflation, not with high rates, but with Pfizer, Moderna and J&J. Powell gets it. He simply hasn't articulated it in a way that the inflationistas can understand. Let's go to calls. Let's go to Will in California. Will.
1: Hello, Mr. Kramer from Palm Springs, California. How I'm are long-time you? I'm a long time student, but a first time caller. Oh, I'm fantastic. doing great. How are fantastic. you? I
0: am doing well. Thanks. What's up?
1: Just wanted to thank you for all the positives you've done for my financial portfolio. Uh, I bought this stock a while back, and but my initial investment was down about forty percent. What are your current impressions
2: on Paysafe?
0: Uh, you know, Paysafe is one where I did not understand the pernicious pull down of these companies that were, uh, frankly, all put together at one time involving payments, and there were so many SPAC payment plays. Uh, but I'm with you. This stock's down fifty percent, and it is not. It's an expensive stop, but I don't know if it should be down 50 percent. I think it, I, I would stick with it here, especially because the integrated payment solutions remain a very hot area. Daniel in Idaho. Daniel. How are you, sir? I am good. How about you, Daniel?
2: Very good. I have a question. I, I, number one, I, can't, I don't know what category to put this stock in, and I also want to know if it's investable. Roku.
0: OK, I think Roku's good, not great anymore, because there's a lot of competition in the living room. And I also think that when it comes to Roku, I'm not saying his time has passed, but it has to spend. It has to get much more advertising in order to be able to change my mind. And it doesn't have it. And there's too many choices to advertise on these days. How about Alan in Kansas? Alan. Hey, Jim, long time fan. Thank hey, you. Listen, my question's about P.J. Maxx. Um, after the, other than the rally today, I noticed that since like the, end, the starting of the month, it hadn't been doing too well. I wanted your opinion on what do you think about that. The whole cohort has been getting hit. Now, I heard a couple of analysts talking positive about TJX today, and that was very encouraging uh, early in the morning. But I've got to tell you, it's not my favorite. Uh, it does not gonna, it's not going to benefit from a lot of tourists coming here. Uh, I think that you have to stick with what I told uh, charitable charitable trust followers who belong to my investment club. Best of breed. I think that Costco, even up here, is better than TJX. Our current ballot of inflation is unique, people. It's being driven by COVID-induced behavior changes that aren't hitting the radar screen of most of the hedge funds. And... I think you can cure it with Pfizer, Moderna, and J&J, not higher rates. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Nucor stock now to come back today after yesterday's decline. So is the steelmaker ready to shine on the Wall Street fashion show? Hey, I'm checking in with the CEO. Then Lifetime hit the public market earlier today with a thud. And with the recent influx of deals in the fitness space, does the company have what it takes to lift, to have its stock lift higher? I'm running through the IPO, give you my take. And talk about down and out. A company called ShareCare came public via back earlier this year, and I'm checking in with the CEO of the digital health player to see what the heck is wrong. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets.
0: Do with the smokestack stocks that have come down huge from their highs over the past couple of months? Take Kramer Fave Nucor, the best deal maker in America and arguably the world. It's a key investment club, charitable trust holding. Here's a stock that's up 86% for the year, but still down nearly 30 bucks from its August high. At these levels, is selling for a very odd 4.5 times this year's earnings estimates because Wall Street's worried about supply chain issues for Nucor's customers, slowing demand from China thanks to the real estate crisis, and of course, more capacity coming on. We know Nucor has been doing very well, but a lot of investors think this is as good as it gets. However, less than three weeks ago, the company announced that it will spend nearly $3 billion building a new state-of-the-art steel mill somewhere in Ohio, Pennsylvania, or West Virginia. That's not something you do unless you're very confident in the future. And I think Nucor understands this business better than Wall Street does. But don't take it from me. Let's dig in with Leon Topalian. He is the president and CEO of
1: Nucor. Mr. Topalian, welcome back to Mad Money Thank you, Jim. Appreciate you having me today.
0: All right. So, Leon, one of the things that I want to just get off the table first, there was a downgrade yesterday. Basically, it was uh, things are as good as they can get. But we have seen cycles that last for a very long time, big steel cycles, and they don't get as good as they get as soon as some of these naysayers are. The history of Nucor is for much longer cycles, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, Jim. And and again, through the cycles over the last 25 years, Typically, when we see this, it it lasts one, two, three years. Uh, However, I would tell you, it's not just a market cycle that I'm excited about and would tell you and your viewers. um, Our best days are absolutely in front of us. The investments that you just pointed to, um, our launch of Econic, which is a family of net zero products, um, our cash position and really the confidence and relationships we've built with our uh, shareholders You know, Jim, at the end of the day, the green and digital economies are going to be built on steel. Who better to do it with than one of the cleanest steel makers on the planet?
0: Uh, You talked about this new greenfield sheet mill. That has been used against you by some analysts I talked to who are saying, okay, here they go again. They're putting up capacity. That always leads to the end of the cycle. I think, given one, that how much stock you bought back in the the hundreds, but second, the fact that you've had a better uh, handle on what's needed and what's not, the idea that this Greenfield steel mill is going to somehow overwhelm steel pricing, to me, seems fanciful.
1: Yeah, look, our our greatest return metrics are our organic growth projects. I couldn't be more excited about the new announcement of our sheet mill. And Jim, it's not about getting bigger by volume. It's getting bigger or um, adding our capability to serve our customer base. This mill is going to target high-end automotive customers and the entire portfolio of moving up that value chain. So this is going to be a differentiator and we believe have a uh, a unique opportunity to serve that market with the cleanest steels in the world.
0: Well, let's talk clean. We have been adamant on mad money that companies have to take the earth as a stakeholder. When I look at this new product, a line of products you had, net zero steel products, and when I know that you use scrap steel, you have to be one of the most ecologically important leaders in manufacturing in the world.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, our, our carbon footprint is about one fifth the integrated world average uh, today. And we've made a commitment by 2030 to reduce that by an additional 35%. So the the launch that we announced this week to provide the first um, net zero steels at scale and partnering with General Motors is an incredibly important first step in, in that partnership. And I couldn't be more excited for General Motors as well as our additional customers that are going to require this to meet their net zero, net zero goals for their customers. Yeah,
0: I'm glad you talked about the because, you know, when I spoke to Mary Barr yesterday, it's very clear she needs it. She needs companies like Nucor to deliver on their end if she's going to meet her targets. And given the fact that so, you yeah. use scrap and given the fact that you have been very thoughtful about what should go into a plant, It is a way for her to be able to meet her
1: goals. Absolutely. And and we're really excited about that. As you know, we're the first EAF producer to receive the GM Supplier of the Year Award. We've now done that back-to-back-to-back years. The partnership is, is great. But also, Jim, that's going to spread. That's not just the auto industry. Many of our customers are calling and asking for these deals today. And that is a key differentiator for Nucor to be able to do that. Our investments in the virtual power purchase agreements really uh, provide a unique backdrop for Nucor to bring value to our customers and to our shareholders.
0: All right. So my Chapel Trust owns it. And one of the things that I've been saying to people is, look, you may see it at four and a half times earnings and therefore must think that the uh, future earnings that the earnings have to fall apart. There have been a lot of times where it's been the opposite, though. There's been a lot of times when people have been saying, you know what, $20 goes to $10 for Nucor and it turns out it goes to 22 or 23. Isn't it possible business stays strong that instead of your earnings being cut in half, they actually may be bigger next year?
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And, Jim, again, we, we announced uh, last quarter that we anticipate this quarter to be a record. And you'll see in a couple of weeks where, where that comes out. Um, but the future for Nucor is incredibly bright. The investments we're making today are strategic, long-term investments. And, again, I believe our best days are in front of us.
0: How does a Nucor stack up ecologically versus the uh, newest and best Chinese plants?
1: You know, again, Jim, we're, we're about one-fifth of the global average, and so typically we're, we're you know, a quarter to a fifth better than the average integrated producer in the world, and so Nucor um, compared to places like China, there is no comparison. We are light years in front of them.
0: But that's important because we have so much money going to ESG funds. I can't think of another industrial or, yeah, well, of course, no steel company that could measure up and be in any of those funds. So you're getting calls from some of those funds to check to see what your ratios are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we're getting calls from our customers with the launch of Econic. Um, this is going to move rapidly through the business. To your point, and it's a, the right one, our customers like General Motors and many others in the OEMs of automotive need net zero steel supply chain to come into their supply to meet their goals within their company. So again, Nucor is really well positioned. Our new mill somewhere in the Midwest uh, is going to be poised to be able to continue to serve that. And, uh, and again, Jim, there's a fundamental structural shift in our industry. The supply and demand side of this supply side is very different than it was two, two or three years ago. And so again, that's a um, position that's going to give us strength as well as the trade position is very different than it was three, four, five years ago, much stronger. And it's not because of 232. It's because we've won long-term trade cases that stay in place for five years. So even if 232 goes away, Nucor is well positioned and the industry in the United States is so much better positioned than we were just five years ago. Well,
0: Thank you. This is what I wanted to hear. It's why my, the trust owns it. It's why we've been telling club members this is the one to own. Great opportunity. Leon, thank you so much for coming back to Absolutely. Mad Money.
1: Thanks so much, Jim. Appreciate it. It's
0: Leon and President and CEO of Nucor. We've got plenty of information in our bulletins about how special this company really is. What a great time to buy, as we've been telling you. Mad Money's back after the break.
1: Coming up, in a socially distanced world, could a fitness talk end up being the opportunity of a lifetime? Kramer skips leg day to get you the latest on Lifetime Group next.
0: As we get further away from the SPAC meltdown this spring, we've got to circle back and see if any of these SPAC names that have been thrown away are worth owning now that their stocks have come down big from their highs. Take a company called Sharecare, which is a amalgamation of digital health businesses with uh, services for enterprises, healthcare providers and consumers with the goal of, of taking down barriers, getting people personalized care. Sharecare has high-profile bloodlines. It was founded by Jeff Arnold, the creator of WebMD, along with Dr. Oz. It's got a solid 20% plus growth rate. It's got healthy margins, but the stock hasn't caught on. After jumping in, uh, to 12 bucks at its peak in February, Sharecare stock sank to just under six bucks in August. Since then, it's made a bit of a comeback, rebounding to eight dollars in change. Although that's still down substantially from what anyone would have imagined when the SPAC deal was announced in February. So could this be a good opportunity? Let's check in with Jeff Arnold. He's the co-founder, and chairman, and CEO of share care to get a better sense of his business and the digital health space. Mr. Arnold, welcome to Mad Money.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Okay, so Jeff, I, I go and look at your website, I read the notes, and I come back and I say, well, this one sounds like a lot of other companies that are saying, hey, if you take us, we'll help your health. So tell me, what are the differentiating points and the moats, the barriers that make share care more uh, worth honing worth right here, right now?
2: It'd be my pleasure, you know, Jim, I I think we're very differentiated. Um, We're a scaled digital health platform that operates under kind of four key pillars. Um, The first is digital navigation. And we've had over 50 million people take our health risk assessment and we take our predictive analytics and our AI and we build a digital twin on you. And we look at that and say, with that digital twin, what's the likely cost of care and what's the likely outcome? And then once we know that via the data, our three other pillars are all based on interventions. So the second pillar is all around digital therapeutics. So whether it's for maternity or migraines or back pain or all three, um, we have these digital therapeutics that we offer you to keep you on the right path. The third pillar is all around multi-payer advocacy. Um, So how can we become that one-stop shop for employers and health plans so we can help with care management? And then the last is... uh, How do we get into the home? Uh, We have 450,000 tech enabled caregivers. And we think those four pillars uh, is what really differentiates share care along with its scale.
0: Okay, so uh, I'm the chief spokesman for the American Migraine Foundation. You mentioned migraine. What do you have uh, if I want to look up migraine on the site or what happens? Because there's so much misinformation about migraine, but so many new medicines that it would be unbelievable if the 30 million sufferers were able to figure out what's going on.
2: Yeah, no, I think, you know, that's a it's a great point And there's a and there's a real need for it. And, and uh, we take a few different approaches. Um, one is we announced one of our digital therapeutics this week uh, called unwinding. And the approach that we take with migraines and, uh, and with anxiety overall is all through mindfulness. And we have a MIT neuroscientist uh, who founded a company called Mind Sciences that we acquired, and runs the mindfulness lab at Brown University. Something our clients are really asking for, and and we find gets uh, amazing outcomes, um, all evidence based. Um, in addition, in February we acquired a company called Doc AI. And the whole mission of doc AI is um, how do you go from research to care um, by you know using predictive analytics and ai and and modernizing clinical trials so people like with the foundation that you're involved with uh, have access to uh, new care and when I look at like uh, what happened with the vaccine it's there's opportunities going forward to create our version of Operation Warp Speed, where we can get people with migraines into clinical trials faster, using AI and other more modern techniques so that we can get the cures faster.
0: Oh, but that'd be amazing. That's the biggest problem is recruiting and having people to come in and having the right people, because a lot of people come in on a study. Some of the studies that I've worked on and they're just you know, 100 people come in, but only 10 fit. And if they knew right. who fit. It would be unbelievable. And what is saving you the system? Hey, um, there's a holiday that my family uh, celebrates. It's uh, World Mental Health Day. It's this Sunday, October 10th. What do you have for us?
2: Well, we have Unwinding, uh, this product that we just talked about. It, it has amazing outcomes. It launched this week. It's available uh, to all our health plan members, which is 8.7 million uh, folks, all our employer clients. And we actually put it in the app store for consumers as well. Um, and so that's available as of uh, this week. And uh, and we hope people take advantage of that. And it's uh, very timely, as you mentioned.
0: Well, I love the fact that you're integrating uh, with something that uh, people don't talk about enough with health, which is uh, money. The worry of money. Yeah. I mean that causes the most stress. I know that, yes, yeah. injury causes stress. But most people are worried about money and uh, you're addressing it head on.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, financial stress is the next diabetes. And so when, you know, Sharecare, we try to look at a whole person health. What's your physical health look like? Your mental health look like? Your financial health? What's your sense of purpose and community? We spent over $90 million to collect data at every zip code in America so we can rank every city and state so we can help people understand that their environment is as important to their health as as their uh, um, genetics.
0: Wow. I mean, I know we had 23andMe. I like this as a uh, as a companion, or in many ways, a much bigger game of thought here. You've like really kind of thought this thing out. I, 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 I like this stock. I don't understand why it broke down. Uh, Jeff Arnold, co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Sharecare. Thank you for coming on the show.
2: Thanks so much, Jim.
0: This is a bit of a mystery, guys. I, they obviously got a lot going, and uh, no one's talking about it. But that's, of course, problems with the stock market. These companies come public. Some are good. Some aren't. And you get some at a big discount at times. This is a nice discount. I like this. Their money's back after the break. As we get further away from the SPAC meltdown this spring, we got to circle back and see if any of these SPAC names that have been thrown away are worth owning now that their stocks have come down big from their highs. Take a company called Sharecare, which is a an amalgamation of digital health businesses with uh, services for enterprises, healthcare providers and consumers with the goal of, of taking down barriers, getting people personalized care. Sharecare has high-profile bloodlines. It was founded by Jeff Arnold, the creator of WebMD, along with Dr. Oz. It's got a solid 20% plus growth rate. It's got healthy margins, but the stock hasn't caught on. After jumping in, uh, to 12 bucks at its peak in February, Sharecare stock sank to just under 6 bucks in August. Since then, it's made a bit of a comeback. We're to $8 and change, although that's still down substantially from what anyone would have imagined when the SPAC deal was announced in February. So could this be a good opportunity? Let's check in with Jeff Arnold. He's the co-founder and chairman of CEO of share care to get a better sense of his business and the digital health space. Mr. Arnold, welcome to Mad Money.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Well, Okay, so Jeff, I, I go and look at your website, I read the notes, and I come back and I say, well, this one sounds like a lot of other companies that are saying, hey, if you take us, we'll help your health. So tell me, what yeah. are the differentiating points and the moats, the barriers that make share care more uh, worth, worth owning right here, right now?
2: It'd be my pleasure, you know, Jim, I I think we're very differentiated. Um, We're a scaled digital health platform that operates under kind of four key pillars. Um, The first is digital navigation. And we've had over 50 million people take our health risk assessment and we take our predictive analytics and our AI and we build a digital twin on you. And we look at that and say, with that digital twin, what's the likely cost of care and what's the likely outcome? And then once we know that via the data, our three other pillars are all based on interventions. So the second pillar is all around digital therapeutics. So whether it's for maternity or migraines or back pain or all three, um, we have these digital therapeutics that we offer you to keep you on the right path. The third pillar is all around multi-payer advocacy. Um, So how can we become that one-stop shop for employers and health plans so we can help with care management? And then the last is... uh, How do we get into the home? Uh, We have 450,000 tech-enabled caregivers, and we think those four pillars uh, is what really differentiates share care along with its scale.
0: Okay, so uh, I'm the chief spokesman for the American Migraine Foundation. You mentioned migraine. What do you have, uh, if I want to look up migraine on the site, or what happens? Because there's so much misinformation about migraine, but so many new medicines, that it would be unbelievable if the 30 million sufferers were able to figure out what's going on.
2: Yeah, no, I think you know, that's a it's a great point And there's a and there's a real need for it. And and uh, we take a few different approaches. Um, one is we announced one of our digital therapeutics this week uh, called unwinding. And the approach that we take with migraines and uh, and with anxiety overall is all through mindfulness. And we have a MIT neuroscientist uh, who founded a company called Mind Sciences that we acquired and runs the mindfulness lab at Brown University, something our clients are really asking for. And, and we find gets uh, amazing outcomes, um, all evidence based. Um, in addition, in February, we acquired a company called Doc AI. And the whole mission of Doc AI is um, how do you go from research to care um, by, you know, using predictive analytics and AI and, and modernizing clinical trials. So people like with the foundation that you're involved with uh, have access to uh, new care. And when I look at like uh, what happened with the vaccine, it's there's opportunities going forward to create our version of Operation Warp Speed, where we can get people with migraines into clinical trials faster, using AI and other more modern techniques so that we can get the cures faster.
0: Oh, but that'd be amazing. That's the biggest problem is recruiting and having people to come in and having the right people, because a lot of people come in on a study, some of the studies that I've worked on, and they're just you know, 100 people come in, but only 10 fit. And if they knew right. who fit. It would be unbelievable. And what a saving of the system. Hey, um, there's a holiday that my family uh, celebrates. It's uh, World Mental Health Day. It's this Sunday, October 10th. What do you have for us?
2: Well, we have Unwinding, uh, this product that we just talked about. It it has amazing outcomes It launched this week. It's available uh, to all our health plan members, which is eight point seven million folks, all our employer clients. And we actually put it in the app store for consumers as well. Um, and so that's available as of uh, this week. And, uh, and we hope people take advantage of that. And it's uh, very timely, as you mentioned.
0: Well, I love the fact that you're integrating uh, with something that uh, people don't talk about enough with health, which is uh, money. The worry of money. Yeah. I mean, that causes the most stress. I know that, yes, yeah. injury causes stress, but most people are worried about money and uh, you're addressing it head on.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, financial stress is the next diabetes. And so when, you know, Sharecare, we try to look at a whole person health. What's your physical health look like? Your mental health look like? Your financial health? What's your sense of purpose and community? We spent over $90 million to collect data at every zip code in America so we can rank every city and state so we can help people understand that their environment is as important to their health as as their uh, um, genetics.
0: Wow. I mean, I know we had 23andMe. I like this as a uh, as a companion or in many ways a much bigger game of thought here. You've like really kind of thought this thing out. I, 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 I like this stock. I don't understand why it broke down. Uh, Jeff Arnold, co-founder, chairman and CEO of Sharecare. Thank you for coming on the show.
2: Thanks so much, Jim.
0: This is a bit of a mystery, guys. I, They obviously got a lot going and uh, no one's talking about it, but that's, of course, problems with the SPAC market. These companies come public. Some are good. Some aren't. And you get some at a big discount at times. This is a nice discount. I like this. Mad Money's back after the break.
1: It is time to serve the
0: lighter the show. let <laughs> And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? that. tell the lightning round to start with Larry in Maryland. Larry! Hi, Jim. Booyah! Booyah, Larry! Okay, this is from Baltimore. I have been interested in a stock called My- MYM. They're uh, specializing in products that relieve pain and also inflammation and studies about uh, delaying the age. Of- it's very, very speculative, Larry, which means to me. Uh, that you have to be really gutsy to buy it, and it, therefore, it's not my cup of tea at this very moment. Let's go to Susan in Pennsylvania. Susan! Hi, Jim. Booyah from Booyah. your old state. All Having right. My second call in many, many years. Okay. Um, it was from Icon Enterprises. Before that big spurt, it was so long ago. But anyway, which I didn't keep the whole thing. So today, the stock is CRTX, three reasons. It's been holding better than all the other Alzheimer's stocks like ANVS, Saba, Uh, Biogen, of course, Uh, Denali has a little Alzheimer's. What else? Something else got hit. Oh, yeah, ALEC, despite the Glaxo investment, got hit back to where it was. So CRTX, that's item number one for interest. Okay, let me tell you, that one, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, okay, Uh, here's the problem. That's become a crowded field with some really, really big guns, uh, and I don't want to be an also ran in that business. I think it could be dreadful. Let's go to Gary in Texas. Gary. Booyah, Jim. Jim Booyah, Gary. From
1: Houston. I'm a massive fan of yours for over 20 years. Oh, and fantastic. You are a NBC icon, and we appreciate everything you do, buddy. Thank you. A few months ago, a few months ago, I was impressed with the CEO on your show, Bill Toler, of a company called Hydrofarm. Yes. I really, like, I really like him as well as the business model. It seemed pretty reasonable at 60 At today's bargain price.
0: Can I hold or buy I more? want you to hold <laughs> now. The stock is down about a let that 12 bucks. Uh, it is. Look, I, I am a big believer in, in hydroponic products. I know that Scott's Miracle Growth has been hit, too. Uh, the cannabis cannabis stocks have been terrible. Uh, but this is more than cannabis, so I'm OK with it. How about Grant in Florida? Grant. Jimmy, chill. Booyah. Chill, chill in the house. What's happening?
1: Booyah from the City of Champions. Jimmy, you had these guys on the show back in June, and the stock has since pulled back. It is now a good time to buy, sell, or hold ASIC?
0: You know, this is one of those. People have decided that houses aren't going to be built, that rates are going to go higher. i decided that Jesse Singh is coining money. You want their product. It is really valuable. Just bought some the other day for a beach house that I've done three decks, And I'm tired of it. You buy one, pay a little extra money, and it lasts. So I am a huge believer in ASEC. I think it is a great stock here at 37. Okay, let's take one more. Let's go to Alec in Illinois. Alec.
1: Hey, Jim. I'm a young adult, newly acquainted with the stock market, and I just want to say thank you
0: for all your guidance, (laughs) wisdom, and knowledge about everything you do for free. Booyah to you. Booyah. You should join the investment club, man. We're really hitting some good ones. What's going on?
2: Um, I was wondering your thoughts and opinions on this company. If I should buy now or hold or wait to buy. The company is SoFi Technologies. SoFi
0: got hurt because the student loan give up. It's going to come back. It's run by Anthony Noto. I have tremendous faith in it. I think you should buy SoFi. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Anything happened over the last few years wall street 's gotten religion on the environment these days. no company wants to be known as a polluter. Most executives recognize that it 's bad for the planet, bad for the world, bad for the customers, and arguably bad for the shareholders. That last one is still a true battleground. We know there are plenty of companies seeking to go carbon neutral by various due dates, all of them different all of them using their own definition definitions for carbon neutral net zero. It's such a hodgepodge that it's impossible to tell who's real and who's greenwashing the new term for businesses that are faking it. But given that this is something we now have to care about as investors, I am hoping the SEC steps in seriously and standardizes things and does it fast. They should create some benchmarks that allow for apples-to-apples comparisons. Maybe bring in an outside entity to validate these pro-environmental efforts like EY, which has an entire practice dedicated to this topic. I'm familiar with the, t- with the company very well. I know that they're ready to do this. Now, this is something that never used to matter to the stock market, but I'm totally on board with the idea of treating the earth as a stakeholder. The truth is, there will soon be so much money in ESG funds, that's environment, social, and corporate governance, that I think there's a very real payoff to going green. Anyone who who only seems to care about the bottom line will be lumped in, ultimately, with big tobacco, permanent pariahs. The more difficult case is when a CEO commits to carbon neutrality or leaves a much smaller footprint but has little hope of getting there overnight. The best example Think of an oil company, think of Chevron, that's deeply committed to becoming a better corporate citizen. But how the heck does a fossil fuel company reduce its carbon footprint? Well, Chevron CEO Mike Wirth had decided to spend $3 billion to make his company cleaner. Then he just upped it to $10 billion when he realized that he'd need that capital commitment in order to seriously develop less carbon-intensive forms of energy. The response On the one hand, J.P. Morgan's oil analyst almost immediately downgraded the stock from buy to hold because of the step up in spending to to clean up the company. On the other hand, as I heard several times in my corporate governance conference last week, the whole thing is preposterous. Chevron's the largest oil company in the world. There's something absurd about pumping oil, oil, pumping all that oil and gas, and then bending over backwards to find ways to reduce your carbon footprint? It's like that Chevron has no way to win. I think the J.P. Morgan downgrade is short-sighted. If the ice cap melts, that's bad for business. At the same time, I think the second view, that it's pointless. It's just downright unfair. Let me put it like this. If you're going to decide ahead of time that there's nothing Chevron can do to help the environment, then there's a good chance they won't do anything. Believe me, I remember what these fossil fuel companies used to be like. Getting them to treat global warming as a real problem is a gigantic step forward. And Mike Worth feels that way. Worth knows that He can get many more shareholders to buy a stock, that, and that gives him an incentive to keep pushing the anti-carbon envelope. But if he's not going to get credit, why bother to try? So instead of scoffing at problematic companies that are doing, trying to do better, why not acknowledge their efforts? The Earth needs the support of everyone, and you just can't plant a couple of trees and think that everything's good. If the fossil fuel companies can't improve, do we really care if some software company goes carbon neutral? I say give these businesses a break when they have hard and fast programs to reduce their carbon emissions. Call me crazy. But I think it's a good thing that they finally care about the environment. Even if it's pure hypocrisy to some, it's a lot better than the alternative. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I pumped try to find it just for you. Right here, oh man money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.